This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Sometimes it's hard to find the cold, hard facts. Luckily for us today, we have a guest who is going to give us exactly what we need to know about skin cancer and sunscreen. Let's get into it. Hey guys, I'm Adia Hansen. And I'm Corbin Smith. Together we are going to explore the nursing profession. With exclusive interviews for nurses working in jobs you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the College Handoff. Today we'll start by speaking with Nancy Bardigan. She works at Intermountain Healthcare and has spent several years supporting healthcare simulation and teaching teams how to work in pretend environments to solve problems, consider patient needs, and create standardized processes. She talks about following your passions and working on projects to make a real difference. After that, we talked to Associate Professor Dr. Katrina Merrill about her latest research on wearing sunscreen even during the winter months. Doing so can not only prevent a sunburn, but may also save your life. Let's get started. Hey everyone, we're here today with Nancy Bard again. Nancy, do you want to introduce yourself really quick? Sure. So I'm Nancy Bard again. I am a nurse. Um, I work for Intermountain Healthcare in Salt Lake City, Utah at Primary Children's Hospital. I have been a nurse for um, 28 years. 27 years with my RN working um, at Intermountain since 1993. So why Intermountain for so long? That's a great question. I feel so lucky to have been able to be hired by Intermountain right when I finished um, nursing school. When I finished, we were in a really unique time um, with all graduating at BYU and Nobody would probably believe this, but it was 1994, and there was one nursing position posted for all of Intermountain Healthcare. Uh, so that was um, a pretty big deal. All of my classmates, most of them all, ended up working as an LPN for about a year or so after they graduated or they left the state of Utah to be able to get jobs elsewhere. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to, um, I had been working as an LPN um, at LBS Hospital on the urology floor, and although they were, um, they weren't able to hire me, they were letting go of nurses at that time, I applied for a job in thoracic ICU, and somehow, by the grace of God, I say, uh, I, I was, I got that job, and um why so long there? They have been an amazing company to work for. They've taken care of me. They've offered opportunities for me to grow. And um, the values of Intermountain Healthcare have aligned with my values. So it's been a great place. And my husband actually works for Intermountain as well. So we are an Intermountain family. I love that. And what an amazing story. Tell us a little bit about all the units that you've worked on. <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I, I, um, I've worked a little bit of everywhere. So I started out um, 
like I said, in the ICU, uh, thoracic ICU. And um, from there, my uh, ended up starting a family and had an opportunity to kind of do a lot of different things after my uh, kids were born. And so I did ER nursing, I did pediatric ICU, I did coronary care ICU, I did um, case management, um, nursing supervisor, recovery room, uh, and then kind of went into a different path, which was more of a leadership journey and ended up as an ICU manager, uh, and then some. That's amazing. What kind of led you to change so often? You know, it uh, honestly, when I early in my career, it was really just about family and just, you know, there were times where my husband went back to school and so I would work weekend nights. And so I just, I took role, I took positions that allowed for that flexibility. Mm -hmm. Um, but then as I, you know, as I started to really build my career, once my kids were a little bit older, um, the changes really just come from growth. And so you, you, you know, in leadership positions, they say about three to five years is normal. And then the goal is, you know, to continue to grow. Um, all of those changes, each one built upon the other. And so they really helped me be a more thoughtful nurse and team player because it used to be like when we were in the ICU, we would think of things like, why, why did the patients in the ER always come up a mess? And then I worked in the ER and I thought, oh, well, that's why. Because their, their flow doesn't, you know, their work um, doesn't allow for them to bathe the patient and put nice sheets under the bed, and, you know, all of that that we had time for in the ICU. Um, so seeing the different areas of the hospital, I think, helped me be a better leader later on because I had an understanding of how everybody, you know, you, until you walk in their shoes, you don't really see their side and um, what their experience is. So now you're in nursing management. Tell us a little bit about how you got there and how it is to be in management at a hospital. So I, uh, when I left the recovery room, uh, at it was a, a kind of an outpatient recovery room uh, center, um, I ended up nursing supervisor. And this was at a time where my husband and I, we needed, I needed to go back full time. So I was a nursing supervisor at LDS Hospital. And that, um, that was really eye-opening for me. And so I worked a lot of night shifts and I would round on every single unit and I, you know, would I would be that person? I was I was their go-to person between um, the, the that front line and our administration. So I would kind of take on all of those hard questions that might come. Um, and our intensive care unit, they oftentimes would get really busy and they'd be shorthanded. And so I would go into the ICU, and because of my background, I would help them. And I had somebody uh, ask me one time, "Hey, our manager's leaving. You should apply." And I literally thought, I never would have thought I wanted, like, that would never have been something that I would have even <laughs> thought to apply for. But she offered, so I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I think that's the other kind of lesson is, you know, don't be afraid to take a chance of, you know, do something that you never thought you might do. 
Um, and so I, I took that job and, uh, oh my gosh, like, and I, I was four years in that position. The first two years were awful, 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 awful. I will mm. tell you, I made every error you could possibly make, but I learned, I learned how to be a better communicator. I learned, um, how everybody might like other people had different communication styles and the way that I was coming across might be perceived not great. And so I learned about myself. I became more self-aware. Um, and I think it allowed me to see that in order to make a change that you needed to, you needed to talk to people where they're at um, and you needed to be receptive of how they might receive you. And so being very thoughtful. And so my last two years as an ICU manager, it, it was this huge aha for me. And um, we ended up just having the most amazing team ever and the, the um, you know, and, and that, that just it kind of is builds upon each other, right? Like that experience taught me, you know, so much about being a leader and then that taught me to be a bit, you know, good simulation director and, and on and on. But I think uh, out of all of it, it, it was not about me being the leader and I'm the manager and I did great things. It was about me creating an environment that allowed others to lead. So when it came time for evaluations and, you know, they asked you to rate people, we had so many people that were extraordinary because they were all leading. And I think that as a, as a, as a manager, it's not about you being that person. It's about you creating that place for others to lead and then you grow leaders. Um, and so that, uh, and I think maybe that's what they saw in me as I came around and helped and, and always, you know, I gave kudos to the work that they were doing and just wanted to help them be successful and to carry that through my leadership journey all the way to where I am today. Do you have any advice for current nursing students about finding their nursing path? Yeah, I think the reason why I've had these opportunities is because I have, I, I didn't shy away from extra work. Um, there are a lot of nurses who come to work and, and, and this is okay. This is really, for some, this is what they need and want. And that is you come to work, you clock in, you clock out, you go home and you don't worry about it. Um, and I did that for many years when my kids were small. But then as an ICU manager, I didn't have to take on that simulation project. I mean, this was a system-wide project, and I only had responsibility for a 16-bed ICU at LBS Hospital. So why did I take that on? I mean, I think I was just passionate about safety and um, and improving um, care. And so I I was able to, and I think, so just saying, I want to be involved in this, I, I, it took extra time. I mean, I ended up working many, many hours probably that no one else would have maybe wanted to do, but I did it. And it, it then afforded me, like it, it, other people saw me, they, they learned my name at the system level and they said, hey, you know, I heard you speak on simulation just recently and you're, you know, you're a great speaker. And then that afforded me other opportunities that came down, um, came down the line even after them. So, uh, so it, it just, I think is not shying away from special projects and, um, and just being, 
being uh, passionate about something and wanting to make a difference. Okay, so if anyone wants to reach out to you, Nancy, how would they do that? I think the best way to reach me, um, you're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Nancy Bardigan, and that's B-A-R-D-U-G-O-N. Um, so you're welcome to connect with me there. And then any, I'd be really happy to receive any emails. Um, so my email address, I'll give you a personal email. That is Nancy Bardigan, again, B-A-R-D-U-G-O-N at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Make your voice heard by voting in the BYU Student Nurses Association election going on right now. Review the candidates and cast your vote on the SNA membership page. So we are now here with Dr. Katrina Merrill. Katrina, how are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Um, Normally we have things where we introduce you, talk about different advice that you may be able to give, but I think today we really want to focus on your research that you've been working on in the past few months that has to do with sunscreen, skin cancer, and especially in the winter, all of these things. So kind of just getting right into it, right to the meat of all this stuff that we want to talk about. Where or how, I guess, did this research project that focuses on sunscreen and sunburns and stuff like that, how did this all start? Well, um, uh, undergrad student here at BYU in the nursing program, Emily Graham, approached me and she worked uh, part-time at a dermatology office. And she noticed day in and day out a lot of skin cancer. Um, and in reality, skin cancer is the number one cancer. And people forget about it because they think it's just minor. And so um, anyway, she was interested in um, looking into that. And so uh, we collaborated and um, did a study to look at college-age students and their uh, sunscreen use and um, use of tanning beds. Now, tell me a little bit about that research process, what you did, what you found out. Give me all the details. Well, um, so what we did is um, we looked at um, skin type. So um, one of the risk factors for uh, skin cancer is, is skin type, uh, which is something you can't change, right? Um, and there's this Fitzpatrick skin scale, which um, has six ranges. And so someone who, um, let's say, is fair and freckled and, um, you know, redhead, you know, the, yeah. the kind of person that just always burns, obviously that person is more at risk. Um, and then we looked at protective factors, and then we looked at risk behaviors. So protective factors are the things we always think about, you know, um, sunscreen, hats, those sorts of things. But then risk behaviors are things like, um, well, going out in the sun unprotected, but also overtly, you know, exposing yourself to UV radiation through a tanning bed. So we identified all of those things, And then we um, asked college students um, here on BYU campus uh, in the the winter, in the spring, and in the summer, um, we asked them what their skin type was, how they would self-rate their skin. um, And then we asked them what sort of um, protective factors that they used, like sunscreen and hats and things like that. And then we also asked them if if they used um, tanning beds. 
So that's kind of how we went about it. So what you're telling me, so I have a younger brother. I kind of have olive type skin, but my little brother, he has much fairer skin. So is there a big difference between me and my brother and the risk that we have for getting sunburns? Because I think that's always been like a myth between the two of us. We don't know if it's true, but is it? Well, yeah. I mean, there are people, you know, I, I make the joke that my youngest son looks out the window and, and gets a sunburn, <laughs> you know, um, and we all have, you know, different types of skin. And so um, the more times you burn, the higher risk of skin cancer that you have. And so, um, yeah, it it does make a difference. And you'll notice even in families um, that some uh, family members like you and your brother are less likely um, or more likely to burn. And that just has to do with your, um, your phenotypic risk factors. If you're fair skinned and freckle, um, and you know, usually light eyes, um, then you're on that low on that Fitzpatrick skin scale. And if you're dark skinned, then you're higher up on there and you, you're less likely to burn. That is interesting. That's, that's cool. And so I guess kind of moving on, I was doing a little bit of reading about your study online. And I think you mentioned at the end of one of the things that you were saying, talking about tanning beds. And I remember reading a thing that surprised me. I think it was something to the effect of that men end up using more tanning beds during the winter compared to women. Is that true? Yeah. In our study, um, it was actually one of the surprising things that we identified. Um, we, we knew that, um, that college-age students probably used tanning beds. Um, and what we found was that um, the men were statistically higher in using tanning beds in the winter than women. And we don't know why that is, uh, but we thought it was odd. <laughs> yeah, that is a little odd. There was another point in your study that said that during the winter time of the year, during the cold time, students started using less sunscreen. But you made it important to mention, or it was important to mention in that study that even though it is the winter, there's just as much of a chance for us to get sunburned during this time because of the UV rays that are going onto the snow or I don't know, maybe I'm just saying things I don't understand, but could you talk to me about it a little bit? Sure. Um, so there's, there's several things that make, uh, us high risk. First of all, um, the altitude that we're at. So we are at a higher altitude, making a, making the rays penetrate, uh, stronger. And so that's a little bit of a, a problem and people forget that, I mean, today is a great example. It's bright and sunshiny. And if you are go out and do any sort of um, activity in the winter, um, whatever skin is exposed um, is going to get that um, UV ray. And the thing about it is, um, is that uh, you're going to go out in the middle of the day um, in the winter because it's warmest. Yeah. <laughs> so activities such as skiing and snowboarding and other winter activities, it's particularly important to, um, to protect mostly it's your face because, you know, you're all bundled up otherwise, but, um, the nose and the ears are particularly vulnerable, um, to skin cancer. And you'll see this often with golfers. Um, you'll see, um, in fact, my dad, um, by the time he retired, he was an avid golfer and he had little nicks out of his ears because he didn't, he wore a baseball cap golfing and his ears were exposed to the sun day in and day out. And he would go to the dermatologist and they would 
take off the sunscreen or off the skin cancer. Interesting. Um, and so it, it really is. I mean, you know, they should be passing out sunscreen at the ski resorts and the. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, in fact, the worst uh, sunburn I ever had was um, skiing. Um, huh. The snow reflects off the, um, you know, off onto you, and and it just it really creates a, a problem. That's interesting. I'm no skier. I've actually never been before in my life, but I think I've always associated sunscreen and sunburns with the beach, summertime. So I think it's a really good thing to learn and to know that you can get sunburns anytime during the year if you're out in the sun too long and if you're not taking care of your skin. And is there like an SPF when it comes to sunscreen that should be a minimum that we should be using? Yeah, there's a little debate about what the appropriate SPF, but um, anywhere between... Um, you know, 30 and 50 is probably the best. Um, I think just get uh, a high quality, you know, sunscreen and not have it be expired. That's the other thing that happens. Yeah. You buy it once a year and then it expires and it's not any good. So just be careful with that. Okay. And when it expires, the effectiveness goes down. Is that what happens? It's just not as um, as effective. And so, you know, you hear about people who go on a trip or something and they take their expired sunscreen and they get really burnt because they didn't realize that it lost its effectiveness. Interesting. What kind of response are you trying to create from this research? What are you trying to teach people and get people to start doing? I really think it's, it's creating healthy behaviors. So, um, you know, in addition to, to sunscreen, there's hats and protective clothing. Um, a lot of, you know, like in the summer, rash guards have UV protection in them. Um, and it's just creating a healthy lifestyle. Being outside is great. And, uh, you know, we need to be outside. It's, it's good for our soul, I yeah, think. Yeah, seriously. You know, um, but I think we just need to be smart about it. And um, wear sunscreen, wear hats, um, you know, and and make sure that we cover so that we don't get um, exposure. It's okay to get some sunshine. It's not okay to get sunburns. And this idea of um, some people like, oh, I'm going to go um, to you know the beach, so I want to get a base tan. You know, that's a total misnomer. Um, there's no such thing as a, a base tan and there's no such thing as going, going to the tanning salon so that when you go to that travel to that exotic vacation, you won't get a sunburn that do, it doesn't work that way. Um, although there's a lot of people who think it does. Yeah. So don't go out and try to get tan and try to get a base tan. Don't purposely expose yourself to the sun. Um, and take care of your skin. It's with you the entire life. <laughs> Seriously. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Merrill, for coming in and talking to us about this. This has been a super interesting conversation for me. I think I was very uneducated when it came to sunscreen. I can't remember the last time I put sunscreen on, but I definitely am going to do that tomorrow and probably for the rest of my life. Thank you so much for talking to me about this and, and teaching me. Thank you for having me. Before we end this week's episode, we wanted to throw in a quick plug for this year's unique night of nursing party. Although we, the BYU nursing community, still can't meet, hang out, and party together, we wanted to make sure everyone is aware of what the nursing program has planned for us to allow us to connect in a fun way this year. Hear me out, though. We know that Zoom fatigue exists, but night of nursing this year will definitely be worth your time, and you'll even be able to win some cool prizes if you do. More on that later. Before that, let's tell you what's up. 
Night of Nursing is going to be a three-day online extravaganza this year. Basically, depending on where you live or where you're originally from, it's totally up to you. There will be, listen closely, a specific Night of Nursing Zoom party on a specific day for you. For example, if you live in California, there will be a Zoom party for you on Tuesday, February 23rd at 7.30 Pacific Time. And before you start to think that every party might drag on longer than sacrament meeting on a fast Sunday, each party should only last about an hour. You can go to nightofnursing.com. Let me say that one more time, nightofnursing.com to find the date and time for your party. Make sure you find the party you want to attend and RSVP ASAP so we can send you the Zoom link for your party. Now, I mentioned prizes earlier. Since we can't give out a ton of prizes at the in-person parties like we love to do, we created a special prize program for this year's Night of Nursing called Swag Fest. By coming to Night of Nursing, as well as doing other tasks like listening to an episode of this show, shout out to you, or creating an account on BYU Connect for networking purposes, you can get points that you can later claim for cool new BYU Nursing merch. But if that's not enough, Night of Nursing gives you a chance to connect and build your network. Never underestimate the value of creating connections with other BYU alumni. You never know what kind of opportunity may arise thanks to your network. Go to nightofnursing.com right now to RSVP. Thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great week. See ya.